I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome to the Athletic Hockey Show. It is Thursday, February 9th. My name is Julian McKenzie. I'm not the voice of Ian Mendez. I'm filling in for Ian Mendez as I hang out with Sean McIndoo. Big Sean, or down, down goes Brown. I don't know how else yeah. to call you Big Sean, but when you, when you already have a program nickname that everyone already knows you by. Yeah, and you can't go Big Sean because there's 18 Seans at the Athletic, and it just gets too confusing. Um but yeah, uh, poor poor Ian. He was so upset about the 49ers not making the Super Bowl that he just oh. he, he just needed some time. He, he oh. just he couldn't do it. He's broken up. So, oh yeah, it's okay. I, I, how many we'll did? Uh, uh, hope, hopefully, he doesn't have that uh, that Niners logo as his profile picture on Twitter still. Right? It, it, he changed that back seconds after the game ended like he was oh absolutely he 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 I'll, I'll give him credit he lived up to his commitment but he did the absolute minimum like this is this is like when when i ask my kids to like do something around the house i gotta be specific and that exact thing is getting done and not one one iota more and uh that's that's where ian went but uh yeah i don't, I don't know what uh he's He's uh he he might be just throwing the football around. He might be the quarterback uh, next year, so we'll be all right. I believe. I think I'm allowed to say this. I don't think he's going to be around on Monday's show either, where Ian and I normally do the show together. So I'm filling in for him like on two occasions. We're gonna have Mark Lazarus hang out with us on the Monday edition of the Boy. Athletic Hockey Show. So Ian is really just come on, man. Like throw us this, a phone or something. I mean, I feel like this could be like the Brock Purdy of the athletic hockey show. Like I feel like Mendez may have just gone Wally Pip on us and you are Lou Gehrig stepping into the lineup. And it's very sad that I just used two sports metaphors and neither one of them was hockey. (laughs) 
I get it. You know what? They Mm. still they still landed in any case. Um, Speaking of hockey, because that we are a hockey podcast, we have to talk about hockey. Nice. Um, Yes, of course. Uh, The NHL 99 series has come to an end. Uh, Dan Robson wrote the uh, the final piece of our series, a great profile on Wayne Gretzky, which you should all check out. And uh, today, uh, the ballots uh, for everyone who had a vote on who should go where in the NHL 99 series were released today. And uh, Sean, I believe you were one of the nine panelists who had I was. a say. Yes, I how was, was that yeah. process? I it was. I mean, it was fun for me, especially. Like I'm, I'm the history nerd in the group, um, and so the idea of sitting down and and going through all this stuff was you know, as, as soon as I heard about the concept, I put my hand up and said, I, I'm in. I have to do this. Um, so in, initial reaction: Hey, this is going to be a lot of fun. Second reaction, this is going to be really tough. I mean, it, it, it just is. I know every time anyone makes a ranking, it's, it's uh, look, they, they go out there and they generate conversation and controversy and people argue back and forth, and that's half the point. Um, it was tough. I mean, it was tough just to cut the list down to 100. Um, I mean, that, that sounds like a lot of players. We're only going back to 1967, and it gives you a couple of players every year. Um, you think that would be enough, but there's real good players getting left off, and then you sort of agonize over, okay, um, you know, who have I left off? Who have I missed? Who am I not thinking of that I should be thinking of? Um, you know, moving guys around is is very difficult. There, you you do find yourself starting to see tears form, and and that's uh, tear, tears as far as T I E R S the uh, you know the the different levels, but maybe also tears forming in your eyes as you try to uh, get this that's exactly right. Um, but it, it's, 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 it's tough. We all took it seriously. I, I, I will say, um, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a way too online guy and I know I, and I've done a lot of rankings in my day and I, and I've read a lot of rankings in my day and we all know sometimes you see a ranking that's done by one person and you sit down and you just look at it and you go, okay, I can tell who you moved out of the right spot into a wrong spot just to make people mad or just to generate controversy or just because of your own personal bias. And and that's why having nine of us working on this, um, you know, th- this wasn't that. This was a, a, a honest, genuine attempt to get um, to get the right ranking in place, even though we all knew going in that there is no such thing as the right ranking and there is no such thing as a, a list that uh, is going to satisfy everyone. Yeah. So to everyone who's in the comments already going at, you know, a certain someone oh, yeah. Bobby or eight, like lay off. You know what I'm saying? Like I, it's I, not the end of the world. Like, come on. I All I'll say is there's, uh, you know, a, a lot of the comments through the whole list have been people criticizing, which is totally fair. You know, like we were, Doing the list yeah. and you say, okay, this guy's number 84 and somebody comes in and goes, that's way too low. And somebody else comes in and goes, they shouldn't even be on the list. That's that's totally fair. And and there's an awful lot of comments today. We we publish both both the ballots and also a roundtable where we kind of talk through some of the, the tougher calls and some of the things we think we may have missed or, or would like to change. Uh, and lots of comments from people saying, hey, you know, here's what my ballot would look like or here's what my list would look like. That's totally fine. Then you get the other people. And I, all I'll say is, I wish I had the confidence in anything in my life that some people have about their hockey opinions. Like, you know, this, this idea, it's not just enough to say you're wrong or I disagree. It's you should never get to write about hockey again because you clearly have never even watched the sport if you don't have, and let's face it, my favorite player 
at the spot that he should be. And it's like, dude, because it's always a dude, chill a little bit. You know, maybe some people just disagree and that's okay. But uh, I, I will say that the majority of the the comments, even the ones that are pushing back and disagreeing and all that have been, you know, good faith, good debate, good discussion, which is exactly what we were looking to generate. I want to go through your ballot uh, and and your votes and, and where you have everything slotted. I'm not going to go through every pick, okay. but I, I want to look at like some of the names here. Let's go through the top five first, just to start here. You have Wayne, you have Bobby Orr, you have Mario Lemieux, which I already disagree with you there. And then mm-hmm. Phil Esposito at four and then Raymond yes. Bork at five. Yeah, and so like, those were those yeah. were the two where I was, uh, I, I think, the highest uh, vote for both of those guys. Uh, first of all, Orr versus Lemieux, uh, yes. total coin flip, real, real tough one. I if if you know there there are certain picks that I made, choices that I made, where I'm like, you know what, I'll plant a flag here, and I'll you know you I'll 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 go to the mat arguing about this. Orr versus Lemieux, I I mean, I mean how do you? How do you choose? I mean, just to I, I think it's I, so much easier to choose. I think it's do you really? To because I think it is because look, Bobby Orr, one of the greatest players to have ever played the game, the greatest offensive defenseman. Yes, if he had played a couple more years, who knows where his numbers would be at? I think in terms of Mario Lemieux and the in the career he was able to realize, despite the fact that he had to uh, battle non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. lymphoma and we we ask the question all the time, like, man, if he was a, he had a clean bill of health, he'd have better numbers than Gretzky. Like, he's a lot closer to that than than Bobby Orr is. And I think sure. it, that just makes it so much easier to put Lemieux over over a Bobby Orr in this situation. So it's less hard for me as a coin flip compared to other people. I can understand that, but for mm-hmm. me, it's it's Wayne than Mario. And in a and different in a different world, it's probably Mario over Wayne. I, I, I yeah, I mean, I was mildly surprised that nobody had. Either or or Lemieux number one over Gretzky, um, you know, just just out of nine of us, I, the the fact that Gretzky came in the unanimous number one, I think he's the right choice. Obviously, he was my pick for number one, but I, I was mm-hmm. a little surprised on that. It, the the counter argument I would make on the on the or versus Lemieux, and and look, Mary Lemieux is probably my favorite player ever who wasn't on my my favorite team uh, to watch, and he's the only guy out of these three where I was there like as a fan watching and understanding at his very peak. I, I miss the very um, earliest days of Gretzky when, uh, you know, when he was racking up points, I was, uh, you know, I was a little kid and didn't didn't really understand what I was watching. Mary Lemieux was brilliant. If I have one game to win, if I had one shift where I needed to go out and get a goal, I'm, I'm taking Mary Lemieux over anybody who's ever played the game. That said, Mary Lemieux arrived in the NHL. He left the NHL. The NHL was the same as it was. Uh, Bobby Orr, the league was completely different when he left to what it was when he came in. He he literally changed the game. We say that all the time in sports about people. Usually it's not true. Bobby Orr changed how the game was played, changed everything about it to the point where when we have the conversation about who's the greatest defensive, how do you rank the great defenseman? And we get into Bork versus Lidstrom and you know all this other stuff. We don't talk about guys like, Doug Harvey or Eddie Shore, uh, because they they were just playing a different sport. They were playing a different position. Bobby Orr arriving was such a seismic change um, that it 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 altered the way the game, the way the sport was played. And as far as that impact and and that is what to me nudges him ahead of Mario. But I do get 
okay. why someone else would have them. Now, Esposito and Bork, th- those are the interesting ones because yeah, I, I think that's we, really we also to me. that's next. We we put the guys, you know, we we gave you uh, not just all the ballots, but we did the full list and you know how many points they had and what was the be- what was the highest and what was the lowest vote. And I believe for both those guys, I had the highest vote. Uh, Esposito, I had him fourth. The worst vote, somebody had him as low as thirteen. Uh, yes. Ray Bork, somebody had him as low as fifteen. That's it's not a huge gap. Um, I believe pretty strongly that Phil Esposito is is underrated um, pretty severely as as far as hockey history goes. And I think part of it is part of it obviously is is you know that was also the Bobby Orr era, and and not even just the fact that they were teammates, and it's sort of you know how much of it was Orr and how much of it was Espo. Um, but just, you know, this generation, most of us weren't around for the, to, to watch hockey in the seventies. And we may only have room in our head to have one guy as the, the face of that decade. Um, and then the fact that Wayne Gretzky comes along next, uh, sort of nudges maybe Esposito out of the way, but people need to understand that for a long time, the NHL 50 goals was the, 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 the top level that was, you know, the rocket Richard getting 50 and 50. Uh, sort of set set the set the tone, and then Bobby Hull comes along, and he's the first one to get more than fifty, but he tops out at like fifty six, fifty eight, and then within a couple of years, Phil Esposito he is scoring seventy six goals. He's going twenty goals past what anybody has done in you know up until the point fifty sixty years of NHL history, and the same thing with points. A hundred points was unheard of for the longest time, and obviously some of that was because the schedule was shorter. But 100 points is is unheard of. And then Phil Esposito comes in and gets 150. Um, it just absolute insane numbers. I mean, the the idea that, and you know, obviously it's a hard comparison to make, but if somebody came in today and scored 100 goals and had 300 points, it, even if those records were later broken, you would sit there and go, that that is one of the all-time greats. And he did it for a lot of years. This, this wasn't just a one-time fluke. So I, I feel like Esposito is, is underrated. And then Ray Bork... I mean, people, I, I, I wrote the Ray Bork uh, um, piece, and so people can, can go and read that for my sort of longer argument. I believe that Ray Bork is the second best defenseman who ever lived after Bobby Orr. I put him ahead of Nicholas Lidstrom. I realize I'm, I'm in the minority on that. There are more, more people um, seem to like Lidstrom. I don't know if that's recency. I don't know if it's it, it, what it is. It, it may just be that maybe Lidstrom was better, and they're right and I'm wrong. It, the one thing that I that I will say, and I've been banging this drum for a while, at some point, it feels to me like, especially with the younger generation of fans, the idea that Lidstrom is number two to Bobby Orr became just accepted wisdom. And and if anything, if people push back, they push back and say, maybe Lidstrom is number one and, and instead of Bobby Orr. Um, don't forget Ray Bork. Ray Bork was absolutely phenomenal for 20 years. I mean, you run down the the awards, the all-star picks, the Hart Trophy voting, everything. We've never seen anything like it. And he is, at the very least, if I can't convince you he was better than Lidstrom, that's fine. But he was, at the very least, um, neck and neck, tough, tough pick between those two guys. And and I hope, uh, I hope I'm able to convince more people of that because it wasn't that long ago where Ray Bork was absolutely the gold standard for, for what a defenseman was in the NHL. For people in my generation, like I, I guess I could, I'll speak for myself here, and I feel as if there are other people who feel the same. My memories of Ray Bork start with him as a Colorado Avalanche and yeah. him winning that Stanley Cup. So I don't have 
the memories of him being this offensive dynamo. But then when you mm-hmm. really look through the history and you discover things like he had held on to this record for how many years for most shots on, on net of all time. And Alexander yep. Ovechkin just broke that. Like, yes. A defense. It, it feels as if, yeah, as a defensive. Like, it feels as if we have somehow underrated the offensive value that, that Raymond Bork was able to bring to the table. I, I will say this with Nicholas Lidstrom, though, who, yeah, was the gold standard of defenseman, his number one defenseman for as long as I was watching the game. Like, I, I get why he gets put high up on that pedestal as a Stanley Cup winner. Uh, I think he was on that 06 team for, for Sweden, I believe, uh, for the gold medal. Like, yeah, he's he has the accolades to back that up. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just, when we, when we think of how great defensive like Bobby Orr are and we value the offensive side of that game, like, we got to show a little bit more love to to Raymond Bork for for what he was able to do for the better part of over twenty years. So I that's, I that's very it. much subscribe to that newsletter of him being you know like slot him higher. Like I, I I think of that top five that you have like of all the picks that are there. Like yes, we have the back and forth on on Orrin Lemieux, but like Raymond Bork at five, I I I really like the fact that you put him there. I don't know if I would do it if I had that vote, yep. but I love the fact that you rated him as high as you did. If 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 I gotta if I gotta give you just one Ray Bork fact to and, and I put seventy seven of them in the piece, okay? It let me take you back to nineteen ninety six ninety seven, okay? Ray Bork is thirty six years old. He's still on the Boston Bruins. He's he's hurt this year. He gets he only plays sixty two games. He misses twenty games, puts up fifty points. The Bruins are not good. This is this is the year they finish last and get to Joe Thornton. Um, right. In in the postseason voting which is not perfect, but is a very good measure of how somebody is viewed. Ray Bork finishes seventh uh, in both all-star voting for defensemen as well as for the Norris Trophy. He finishes se- the, the voters decide that this season in which he missed 20 games, he is the seventh best defenseman in the entire league. In his 22-year career, that's his worst season as far as Norris voting. He is, it is the first time in his career that he is not in the top five for Norris voting at the end of the season. Top four, in fact. Insane. That he is not one of the four. And, and he's been in the league at this point for, what, 16, 17 years. And then the very next, uh, two, two seasons later, he's back in the All-Star consideration. I mean, it is absolutely insane. There, there is nobody, uh, virtually nobody who has put up the sort of numbers that he did both in terms of scoring. And yeah, you know, he played in the eighties tough to compare his scoring in the eighties to well, what Nicholas system was doing in the two thousands. Fair point. But, um, I, I just, I, I guess anyone, if you're raising your eyebrow going Bork over Lidstrom, I don't know about that. And especially if you just remember him as kind of the old guy on the avalanche, finally getting the Stanley cup, just go to his hockey reference page. Just look at Look down the awards column. Look at all of that there. From the very first, he was a first-team All-Star as a teenage rookie, breaking into the league in the late 70s, just all the way through to the, the year 2001 when he finally gets the cup. It's it's a resume we will never see again. By the way, Raymond Bork also has the greatest Stanley Cup raise of all time. Absolutely. No yeah. no question at all. Greatest no Stanley pressure. Cup handoff, Joe Sackick to Bork. Um, just an absolute, uh, you know, the, I, I, I've talked to multiple fans who have acknowledged to me that they will still get misty-eyed when they watch that clip 20 plus years later they're, they're they know that the they're like oh don't show me that clip because i will i I'll i got misty-eyed it. yeah i i got misty-eyed i watched that like a couple of months ago just popped it up on youtube 
I started like crying in my like mm-hmm. parents' basement. Like I, I don't know why it just happened, but like I couldn't. I was just overcome with emotion that day. But that is one of the that is the greatest cup raise. Uh, actually, there, I have a fun story with that for myself. Back when okay. I was an intern for um, an HL team, uh, the Syracuse Crunch a couple years ago, uh, the play-by-play guy uh, at the time was a guy named Dan Duva who now works for the Vegas Gold Knights. He's a big New Jersey Devils fan. And uh, there was an intern who I got to work alongside too. Um, Logan Grossman's his name. He was also a Devils fan. And for whatever reason, we were talking about the Devils and the Abs in that 01 uh, Stanley Cup final. And I remember just like we, we start talking about obviously about the cup race. And I remember just like reciting Gary Thorne's call of it. And as I'm reciting it, both Logan and Dan were so disgusted. They were legit yelling at me like, stop. I would just be like, after 22 years, like, stop. Like, they just, they were yelling at me to stop uh, reciting that call. That And of course, Gary Thorne makes that too. Uh, if yes. we ever get to a whole point about NHL play-by-play guys and ranking them, I want to be a and, part of that list. And and shout out to, to uh, Joe Sackick. Right, because the the, yes. the immediate the fact that the only captain to ever take the Stanley Cup and not raise it uh, to just hand it off directly was such a great touch. Absolutely. There's one other part of this too um, that of of your ballot that I want to get to. Uh, going back to that list of uh, players and the best vote that they get and the worst vote that they get. Connor McDavid, uh, mm-hmm. who on our list ranked 16th overall, the highest vote he gets is 12th. The lowest he slotted is 26th. Guess who put him at 26, people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Down goes Brown did. That that was me. And and this is, I mean, look, Why? McDavid, McDavid out of everyone is impossible to, to rank because he's in his prime right now. The guys who are in their prime right now, I mean, how how do you do this? Uh, nobody disputes that Connor McDavid, by the time he's done, unless you know there's an injury or something, is going to be top 10 probably top five, who knows? He, he might be pushing higher than that. Um, the supremely talented player. I just, I don't know how you rank someone who is, um, you know, still still in their prime without even subconsciously projecting ahead and saying, here's where they're going to be. I, when we first started this exercise, it was during last season um, when we, we first kind of got together and, and decided we were going to do this and, and started talking it through. And, and, you know, this was a debate that we had. Um, it was a debate that we had about not just, um, not just McDavid, but also Austin Matthews, where uh, I, you know, I put my hand up and I said, Austin Matthews shouldn't be in the top 100 because he, what? you know, if, if Austin Matthews retired today, has he done enough to, to be in the top 100? And again, you know, obviously here you get into somebody's peak versus their longevity and, and all of this. But I, you know, I, I kind of took the literal view last year where I said, you know, we're, we're halfway through this season. You know, Matthews has the time. He's never won an MVP. He hasn't been a first-team All-Star. You know, I'm like, yes, he's he's led the league in goal scoring once or twice. So did John LeClaire. Um, You know, what has Austin Matthews accomplished to say that if we give no credit whatsoever for what he's going to do in the future – that we put him on the list. And, and to a lesser extent, the same with McDavid. McDavid much more decorated at that point. Now, I did end up having uh, Matthews on my list uh, eventually because by the time we, we went and did this and the season was over, he had had the 60-goal season. He had had, the, uh, he had the MVP. And okay, now at this point, maybe you start saying that, uh, that, that he's done enough. Um, but even then, I did find it 
uh, quite difficult to to rank those guys. And so, you know, with with me, with McDavid, it's not a knock on him at all. It's just me saying, you know, again, last summer when we sit down to make this list, Connor McDavid calls a press conference. He gets up and says, you know what? I've decided I'm done with hockey. I'm going to go do something else. Um, and we look at his resume and we say, okay, here's a guy who uh, was was absolutely fantastic, was one of the great players, had, you know, had some of the best seasons we've seen, but, you know, w- would have been retiring with under 700 points, would have been retiring with like, you know, under 250 goals, would have had the heart trophies and all that. Yes, but uh, where do we rank that? You know, what if Connor McDavid, Lord forbid, blows out his knee tomorrow and he comes back? But he just he's not the same. And he's like a 50 point guy for the next 10 years. And you look back and go, you know, there, there have been lots of guys who at the age of 25 or 26 looked like they were going to be all time legends. And then for whatever reason, didn't end up being there. And I, I just I was nervous about projecting ahead. Uh, look, I, it, I'd be willing to bet that Conor McDavid's going to win the Hart Trophy three or four or five more times in his career. But he hasn't done it yet. And I, I really wanted to push back on the idea that that we give you know that we look too far ahead on this this is supposed to be a snapshot and i gotta say i made the argument and i lost the argument and you can kind of see that by how everybody else was was voting uh uh, except for me well because Connor mcdavid in the time that he's been in the league fine he's under 700 points but the the speed the 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 goal scoring ability Mm -hmm. there's so many things about his game that Already, you look at players who have come before him and you're like, well, how many of those guys have ever had all that package together? Like, sure. Like, like he's able to do video game numbers at, 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 at his point in his career. The only thing he really just needs is just a winning team that could get him those Stanley Cup rings. Like, the biggest shame in all of this would be if Connor McDavid were, were to go through his career, whether he spends it as an oiler for, for the entirety of his career or not, but he manages to not get the Stanley Cup ring. But in terms yeah. of what we've been able to see him do on the ice, like, like there are people already who feel like, dude, he might be the great. Like, actually, Mark Lazarus said this on the Monday show. He might already be the greatest hockey player we have ever seen in terms yep. of the tantalizing ability that he has. And no disrespect to Austin Matthews, who I think is definitely a top 100 player. Like, I don't think he, he definitely doesn't wow people the same way as an as a Connor as a Connor McDavid does with his abilities, even if he does have the great shot, and he's able to score all those goals. He's already considered, some people already consider him the greatest Leaf of all time. So I feel like if you're at that mm-hmm. point, like it's impossible to leave him off of a list like this. But for Connor McDavid to take over games the way he could take over, like we watch Edmonton Oilers games and uh, like maybe them and maybe Colorado might be, the, those are the only two teams I could probably think of in the NHL right now where you could feel confident enough that they can outscore their problems, so to speak, where it's like, yep. okay, you know what? The defense kind of sucks, but like, well, Colorado, you wouldn't say that about their defense, obviously. But like, if you're going to get into a shootout with them, they're going to roll with you. Those are the two best teams in that. And one of the biggest reasons why Edmonton is in that discussion is because Connor McDavid, you put the puck on his stick, you don't know how many goals he could get. And that's a guy who does who feels he doesn't even get that 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 much hype as a goal scorer. You know, like yep. he could he could do it. Like in his career best numbers was, last year, and, that was my and, big and call still, from the from the off season where I told we had Jesse on and we were talking about the. Uh, uh, the goal, like who's going to win the Rocket Richard? And I, I, I told people, I said, go Connor McDavid because Connor yes. McDavid has had to have a whole summer hearing people go, maybe Austin Matthews is the face of the league now. Maybe Austin Matthews, and he is just going to go, what does Austin Matthews do? Sco- score goals? All right, I'm going to score goals 
all season long. And uh, it's, I, I'm, I'm not right about a lot of things. Most of my predictions go sideways, but that one uh, I'm, I'm pretty proud of. All right. We're going to bring in uh, Jesse Granger for another scintillating edition of Granger Things. But uh, I just have to say, this is the discussion about the HL 99 your, and your ballot so far. I, I had to extend that like that. That's it. This is so fun. It is. And and look, I mean, that's that's the, the point of it. And I'll tell people if you want to come on and go, oh, I can't believe this person ranked Bobby Orr here. This person did. OK, you sit down and do it. Um, maybe don't do a top 100, but do do a top 10. You know, th- that's a lot of times I find with this sort of stuff mentally until you do the list, we don't really rank guys. We put them in tiers. We put the, yeah. you know, these guys feel like a top, this guy feels like a top 10 player. Okay, you write down how many top 10 players you have. And next thing you know, you've got 12 or 13 or 15 guys on the list. And you're going, uh-oh. It, same thing. If you want to say, you know, how could, this guy has to be in your top 100. Okay, who, who are you knocking out? Who are the players that should have, that, that shouldn't be there? Because we only got 100 spots. We can't squeeze it. This isn't our list of great players or players we like. If we did that, then, you know, we'd have it all, uh, uh, you know, we'd, we'd have room for a lot more guys. We only got 100. Let me know who would have been on your list and who comes off of my list um, before you yell at me too much. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. It's about that time to bring in Jesse Granger, who covers the, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights for us here at The Athletic, for Granger Things, sponsored by BetMGM. Jesse, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just got back from Florida. Uh, Golden Knights are on the father's trip right now. I'm not on it. So um, after two long road trips, I'm happy to be home for a little bit hanging out in Vegas. Well, I'm also happy that you get to hang out with Sean and I. We've been going through uh, his NHL 99 ballot. I already kind of grilled him on uh, Connor McDavid and, and Phil Esposito and Raymond Bork and uh, I understand that uh, you also want to continue the grilling. Um, Sean, I got I got to say, you're, you're taking this like a champ. Like you're getting all the getting these questions from all these sides. And yeah, now you're about I'm to get the, goalie questions from you Jess. guys are building me up to like my Colonel Jessup moment where I'm just going to snap on the stand and, uh, and and start going right after you. But I'm not there yet. Damn, I don't know who that is. That's an old. <laughs> oh, my God. Neither do I. <laughs> he completely lost us on that. Oh, one. I don't know who that is. <laughs> what movie is this you from? Children. You what absolutely. From? It's from a few. It's from a few good men. 
It's one of the most oh, famous wait, movies the, of the late the 80s. Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. It's probably a meme for you. I have seen that movie, but I just. Yeah, I've seen the meme. I've seen the meme. Sorry, it might be rated R. You guys probably aren't old enough to see it without. <laughs> whoa, I'll take whoa, 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 whoa! I come from Quebec, where uh, rated R movies oh, are like what, like PG thirteen? Yeah, that's true. That is true. Anyway, uh, for Granger things, uh, yeah, Jesse wants to uh, ask Sean some questions from a goaltending perspective uh, with regards to his NHL ninety nine battle. Let me guess: uh, so you're mad that the top ten wasn't all goaltenders? Is that top three? I, 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 yeah, I was shocked that. One, two, and three were not Hashik, Wa, and Brodeur. Um, mm-hmm. I will start by saying this whole thing was so much fun. The NHL 99 going through it. Yep. Um, even this morning, reading the ballots, reading the reasoning. I have loved every bit of this project. All the stories have been good. And I thought for sure the top three goalies would be ranked in the wrong order um, okay. going into this thing. And they weren't. Hashik, uh-huh. Wa, Brodeur, that's the order I would have them in. They are all three amazing and to me like dryden is is pretty clearly number four on the rankings and i and i think i agree with that too but i think that those three are the clear top three and i was impressed that not just the overall ranking but you and pretty much everyone had those three in that order um what went into your thought process when ranking uh, the top three goalies yeah it, it really does feel like those three have have separated in the the modern era uh goaltenders they're sort of the the holy trinity um, I, I will be real honest. Um, I knew those were going to be my top three, or I felt pretty, pretty strongly that they would. The tough one for me was, was Hasek versus Walk. Um, Broder, it was a, it's a fantastic player. I mean, it's one of these things where, you know, it, it, it's almost as if, not that you can ever be underrated when you're Martin Broder, but it's, it's almost as if, People want to diminish it because he had the wins record, and we've all decided wins isn't uh, you know isn't as important as we thought. And you know the, the, this this idea that you you push back on him and suddenly people are are trashing the guy. He's an absolute phenomenal goaltender. Right. Um, but to me, it came down to Hasek versus Waugh. and and it was uh, you know sort of the case of with with Patrick Watt was a little bit longer career, a little bit larger sample size. A um, couple of cases of, of taking, frankly, not very good teams all the way to a Stanley Cup in Montreal. Um, and and I don't put uh, people who read my piece on Marcel Dion. No, I don't put a lot of stock in Stanley Cups. I, I don't I don't penalize guys because they didn't win a cup, uh, and I don't put a ton of stock in because you know otherwise you wind up with you know Henri Richard as your number one player of all time. Uh, you know you, you you can't go that far, but. For for starting goaltenders, I will look at it a little bit. You know, I mean that that is the, the player who has the most control over the team uh, team performance. Um, so you know that was what was in favor of Patrick Waugh. But then, in terms of the peak, I mean, with Dominic Hasek, yeah, he didn't he didn't really even get started in the league till he was twenty seven, twenty eight. Had the very late start as a dominant player, but the peak, I mean, we have never seen anything like that. Uh, a, a guy being that far ahead, head and shoulders, year after year after year. Um, being not just the best goaltender in the league, but the best goalie in the league by any measure, pretty clearly, um, for for several years at a time. Now, I, we haven't seen that certainly in the modern era. You you could go back. I mean, I think Jacques Plante had a stretch where he, you know, that, that that's how far you probably have to go back to find what Hasek was doing in in the late '90s. So ultimately, as as I say in the the roundtable that we had today, I'm I, I look at peak. And longevity, 
But if I got to pick between them, I want the peak. I want somebody. I, I give me give me John Leclerc over Patrick Marlowe. Give me the guy who was the best in the league for three, four, five years um, over the guy who was pretty good for a long, long time and and racked up the stats. And to me, Patrick Waugh was phenomenal. I don't think even he ever got to the level that uh, that Hassett got to. Okay, I guess that explains it too, right? Because the obvious counterpoint with Patrick Waugh is well, the playoff success, the Conn Swipe mm-hmm. trophies, like you know, like I'm like. I like I again kind of with some of the other players on the list, like with we were talking about with Raymond Bork with the memories with you know me seeing him later on in his career. Like I think of 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 Dominic Hashik dominating with the Red Wings and a little yeah. brief time he was in Ottawa, but he was still playing at such a disgustingly high level. It's insane. But like I never got to appreciate the Buffalo years where he began to make his name and earned the dominator nickname. Yeah, and, and I mean it was such a bizarre time, right? Because you get you gotta remember, like it, 92-93 season, the Buffalo Sabres, they haven't won a playoff round in a decade. They've got Darren Poopa as their starting goalie. Hasek's this weird backup with his crazy mask, and you know, nobody even knows who he is. And There's they go cage. out and and they yeah. yeah, with the with the cage, and they go out and they make a trade midway through the season for Grant Fuhr, who also shows up on our on our list. They they get him from the Maple Leafs. They give up a ton. They give up Dave Anderchuk, Hall of Fame, uh, you know, future Hall of Fame, 50 goal guy at the time, a first round pick and Poopa, their starting goalie, to go and get Grant Fuhrer because they're like, we need to upgrade the goaltending. Dominic Hasser is sitting right there on the bench. And as it turns out, you know, Fuhrer goes in, he plays well enough, they do win a playoff round, but Fuhrer gets hurt, and the next year Hasek takes over, and suddenly, like, immediately, there's no ramp-up. Like, Dominic Hasek goes from backup that a team didn't trust and went out and gave gives a ton to, to get to winning the Vezina the very next year. Absolute madness. And even then, back then, you're going, okay, goaltending's weird, man. Uh, I guess. And But no, he just stays at that level for seven years. Just just absolute craziness. I, I and- will say this. I did, I, I, I felt like there was a big three. I ultimately voted the big three. I gave some consideration to Ken Dryden. Maybe nudging Broder out of there. I mean, Dryden was awesome. Yeah, I mean, like I'm obviously not old enough to have watched that, but his stats for that era when goalies yeah. were not stopping pucks the way they are now, he yep. was stopping pucks the way like he, his yeah. save percentages and were like what they are now in a, in an era where guys were not dropping to their knees and like letting in crazy goals. Like Dr- Dryden was unreal. Uh, I I said this uh, in a thing I wrote about. We're going way back, an old, old goalie and Bill Dernan. I said, you know, Bill Dernan might be one of the only players in the NHL where you talk about peak versus his whole career was peak. And and Dryden is kind of in that that same that same place where he comes in, immediately wins a cup, you know, not even wins a cup as a rookie, wins a cup before he's a rookie because he wins a cup and then and then goes and gets the Calder and and doesn't have a long career. Um, and uh, in his case, not because of injury, but you sort of get into the Bobby Orr thing. Of, well, how do you know? How do we measure that? How do we? Uh, I I had uh, I had him, I think, higher than most, and I did for a while toy with the idea of putting him ahead of Broder, but I, I just I just couldn't quite go to that level. Um, but uh, I thought about it. So I wrote the Brodeur piece, um, and, yeah. and I spoke to him, and I spoke to a bunch of people, and like one thing I will say in Brodeur's uh, in in argument of Brodeur is. He doesn't have the stats, the saves, the the saves above average of all the other goalies. And I think he actually deserves credit for not having as many saves. And it's because he played the puck so well and they mm-hmm. built that system that everyone hates because he played the puck so well. So this goalie is so good at not allowing the other team to get the puck. 
So we're going to penalize him because he didn't make as many saves because they couldn't get shots on him because he was too good to at it. To the point now. that they had to change the rules, you know, put yeah. in this this dumb trapezoid. And and you know, <laughs> Julian so and I stupid. were talking at the beginning about uh, Bobby Orr changing the game. Yep, Broder to some extent did did too. And uh, yeah, he. I mean, he was. It, I mean, it, it's it's funny how they all sort of had their trademark with Broder. It was the puck handling, and then the great thing about the the Waugh versus Hashik debate is. You couldn't have two more different guys because right. Patrick Watt comes in and he doesn't invent the butterfly and he, he isn't the first to use it, but he's the guy that perfects it. Yes. And and Patrick Waugh marks the end of the stand-up goalie. There, there, there used to be, for you, you kids out there, there used to be different goaltending styles. There was the guys who dropped down. There were the stand-up guy. It, it, there isn't anymore. Patrick Waugh played that style so well that everybody was like, that's it. Uh, That's from, the way to do it. Now on, and you know, Berger comes in, and and you know, to to an extent as well. But you know, Patrick Waugh is the guy that every goaltender who ever came afterwards models themselves after, as far as the style. And of course, that allows you know that and the lighter pads allows for the bigger guys, and it just it it transforms how the position's played. Versus Hashik, one of the greatest players ever. But you would, if you were a goalie coach, you would never ever show anybody a Dominic Hasek yeah. clip and be like, do with that. Cause nobody knew if what you was emulate doing. Dominic Hasek. You're going to give up a lot of goals. Yeah. yeah it was just, just it was madness. Around. You're just watching him going, yeah. what, did, what is he doing? Is he even like, did he, did he get distracted? Did he, you know, if it was a video game, you'd be like, is he hitting the wrong buttons? Is he got like uh, his controller drifting? What's going on? He was, he was just absolutely all over the place. Whereas Patrick Wall was just the, the, you know, that all the skill and talent in the world and competitiveness and everything, but also the perfect style uh, versus Hashik, who was anything but that. Do you guys remember playing those like old NHL games where they show you like whatever goalies on your roster and they show you whether they're a stand up goalie or a butterfly goalie? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's old school right there. That's you would old never, Sorry to cut you off. Jeff. You no, would you're never have that, that right in. now. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely not. As a as a goalie enthusiast, I'm sure other people will argue me that there are more exciting players that are that play out. But to me, Dominic Hasek the most entertaining player to ever step on the ice. I grew up in Colorado. I play goalie because of Patrick Waugh, because I grew up in the glory years of the Avalanche, like right when Waugh came to to Colorado is when I was old enough to watch hockey. Dominic Hasek my favorite player ever. Um, oh, like, and you never knew what he was going to do. Yeah, it was just so entertaining. Like it just it doesn't Snow get any better. Angels, I, scorpion yeah, save. Was, he was going to throw his blocker at somebody's head. Was he going well, to drop? I mean, ask Marion yeah. Gabrick. You never knew what this guy was going to do, right? Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. He was on the other side of that that crazy save where like he's like skating out of his net. Was like, save. Yeah, he just flipped. Just, yeah, I'm yeah, just, just going to skate right out. at this good dude's uh, ankles and send him <sighs> flipping in the air. One of my favorite like trademarks from Hashik is. He would always, if the if it was like a two on one and they passed it across to his blocker side, he would throw his stick on the ground so that he wasn't holding the stick to slow yep. his blocker down and reach that blocker out and get it. Like man, that's yeah. just you never the, would see another goalie do it. My In terms all-time of the- favorite moment uh, with Dominic Hasek is, is uh, and I feel like just I love this because it just captures the spirit of of two guys uh, it, this is when he was with detroit and they're playing colorado and you know what that means right we we've got we all you know you had patrick waugh mike vernon in 97 then you get the the quasi rematch with chris osgood the next year now it's a few years later the rivalry still going strong there's a scrum in front of the colorado net patrick jumps in hashik's in the other net patrick jumps in and everybody's going oh my god here we go 
we're going to get the trilogy. We're going to get part three, and this time it's Dominica. And sure enough, Hashik comes down the ice, full speed, crowd's going nuts. <laughs> and just as he gets there, he wipes out and just yeah. slides along the ice and takes out the whole pie. And like you can see Waz just like, what? What was that? And the linesman jumps on him and drags him away, oh, and they get him out. And it was just the perfect, like, to me, that captures both of these guys. Patrick Waugh going nuts for no reason, uh, starting fights, and Dominic Hashik, you know, he's he was... He was going to give it the old college try, but then just wipes out, sprawling along the ice. And everyone's going, what is that dude even doing? Oh, the, uh, the, the last thing I'll say on Hashik before we get to the final thing I want to talk about is you mentioned the peak. And I was I was just like looking at the stats kind of when I was going into this because I wanted to just kind of see how they compared. And so he won six Fezzanas in eight years. Um, but in the middle of that, like, so that already is a ridiculous peak, but in the middle of that, he won three Vezinas in a row. And I like goals saved above average because mm-hmm. it compares you to the save percentages of your era. So to me, it, it really allows you to compare goalies across eras because you're only being compared against your, your, your contemporaries and, mm-hmm. and how well you did. Most years, if you look over the last few years, most years, the goalie that wins, that, that has the highest goal saved above average in the league is around 27 to 30. Uh, Igor Shesterkin last year was historically good. He was like in the Hart Trophy discussion. He had 44. Mm-hmm. Dominic Hasek had three years in a row with over a 54 goal saved above average. That is Yep. Unbelievable. Three years in a row. And by the way, the third year was the year he took the Sabres to the soup to the Stanley Cup and should have won the Stanley Cup if not for the skate being in the crease. Mm-hmm. He had 14 goals saved above expected in 19 playoff games that year. Like that's a that's a good season. And he did it in four in 19 playoff games. That this like the eye test tells you how good he was, but even in the stats, playing as ridiculous as he was. He was just, like you said, light years above every other goalie in the league. At Imagine that time. some forward coming along and scoring 10 goals a year more for three years in a row than anybody else could could get to in even MVP seasons. And speaking of MVPs, Hashik won the MVP back-to-back, an award that historically never goes to goaltenders. Right. We, we just, for whatever reason, we don't vote goalies for the MVP, and he was that good that even in the era where you know goals were plunging and this is this is the golden era of goaltending at least as far as you know save percentage and goals against he was that much better than everyone else that they had to give the mvp award to this uh, this crazy goalie and and for each of those years he had that uh, gsaa at 50 over 50 won the Vezina in each of those years yeah yeah he was insane so the last thing i want to i want to talk to you about is i was reading the piece this morning um, where you guys kind of they did a q and a with the panelists and they asked you like a lot of questions about how you voted. And one of the things that stood out to me was uh, how high Connor McDavid can get on the list. So mm-hmm. as the the goalie enthusiast that I am, I immediately thought, okay, well, Vasilevsky was 79 on the list and he's still, he's, I don't, he's, he's not like young, but he's still got probably half of his career left, maybe more. This guy's still got a lot of hockey left in him. Um, what, how high do you think Vasilevsky can get? I mean, this guy is behind a really stacked team and, and in my opinion, the best goalie in the world right now. Yep. Um, he, how high can he get? And yeah, you're right. Wow. He's only 28. I, uh, that's, uh, that's something considering how long he's been in the league in, in a league where goalies a lot of times don't even debut until they're 25 or 26. How high can he get? I mean, I, I just, I have a real hard time imagining he can get into that Trinity. Um, and, and Dryden is, is such a sort of tough outlier as far as, you know, the, the whole thing being peak 
but after that, uh, you know, I've got my next guys. I had Bernie Perron, uh, Henrik Lundqvist. Certainly, he can, uh, you know, he can get past him. I think um, he already is. The, the, he, yeah, yeah. You know, and he 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 might he he certainly might be getting there. Um, uh, or or into the discussion. Absolutely, Tony Esposito, Grant Fuhr. I, I think that's the range. Ed Belfour is is very much in play. And if you were to say he's already there. Maybe, you know, maybe he is. I mean, th- this is a guy who he's won one Vezina, uh, has been, was a finalist four years in a row, but he's won one again, the, the, the two Stanley cups, but I factor that maybe a little bit less, uh, than some would, um, the big numbers as far as wins, uh, you know, it, it, he, he could be a guy that I could see people looking back and, and will have that argument. Was he, was he a great goalie or was he a very good goalie on a great team? Um, and then, uh, and, and I think he's a great goalie, but, uh, he, he's got a ways to go for me before he, he cracks that discussion with that, that next tier after the big three. I wonder with the, the era of goaltending now and goals going up and goals per game, like starting to get up on that swing. And we're looking at how goaltenders are being viewed around the league. Like, does that play into the perception of Vasilevsky too? Because it feels as if like he's. He and, and Igor Shosturkin are kind of near the top. And maybe there's another tier where you have guys like UC Saros. And it may, and Jesse, you could disagree with me because you're the goalie aficionado here. But it feels like there's this drop off in goaltending, uh, or the quality just doesn't feel as if the same as it was in the early parts of the 2000s and 2010s too, just because of the level of offense that's been coming. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to a couple coaches around the league about like why the save percentages are going down, and the answer that they all give is we got rid of all the checking lines. Basically, like the fourth lines are now young 20, 21 year old kids that are trying to snipe. They're all, they're skilled offensively. Not only are they better offensively than the checking lines that we used to have, they're worse defensively. So you're getting better offensive teams, worse defensive teams and the goalies are are facing a lot high more high danger chances. I personally think you can rank I, th- I think a goalie can be impressive in that kind of era more so than they can be in like the dead puck era where they're not making saves my argument for vasilevsky would be so he's got two stanley cups and i know sean you said it's not the most important thing but Wah and brodeur both had three if if he can get to four and he's got more Stanley Cups than Juan Brodeur, which I think is very possible considering he's 28 and he's already got two. He'd, he'd need a f- few more Vezinas. But to me, what you need, you need something that differentiates you from the pack. And to me, what I think by the end of Andre Vasilevsky's career, I think what's going to what we're the way we're going to view him is we're going to view him as the last guy that was the number one goalie without a question, without a without a one B. Because if you yeah. look at the league. Even the best, like Ilya Sorokin, could be the best goal in the league right now. This he's he might be having the best goal season, and they're still playing Varlamov quite a bit. Like the 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 league is going in the direction of goalie by committee because the position, because of the post integrations, everything they're doing, it takes so much toll on the body. They're going to that, but Vasilevsky, the the Tampa Lightning don't even care about the backup goalie position. They're like, who, whatever old veteran we can get for seven hundred thousand dollars, put him back there. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. because Vasilevsky's playing every game he can, and once the games matter, it's all him. It's to me, I think seven, eight, nine, ten years from now, we're gonna look at it and say, wow, this guy is doing something that no one in this era did. And and I think you combine that with if he's got to he's got to win a couple more cups, he's got to win a few more Vezinas, but I I really do think he can push for that top 3. Wow. 
that's uh, yeah and and it's um that that's a really interesting way to put it I, he it almost reminds me of like what we're seeing with running backs in the nfl where yes. you yeah. used to have there used to be emmett smith that's your guy 350 carries a year and now everyone's got the committee almost everyone's got the committee to the point where the few teams that don't really stand out and you know vasilevsky may be um you know maybe he's the last of of a breed or maybe he is uh, the guy who sort of brings that back, where how many maybe, cups yeah. does he have to win before you go? You know what? Maybe we don't need two guys playing forty to forty-five games. And I know with the salary cap and, and money going up over the next few years, we might think of this a little differently. Andre Vasilevsky might be the last goalie I can think of, at least for a while, who you I feel you could really feel comfortable shelling out nine and a half million per for. Like looking at yep. the guys like Amber Carey Price get making over ten and a half, like. I can't think of any other goalie right now who mm-hmm. like I feel comfortable shelling out that type of money for. And that plays Nobody ever puts other- that list that that contract on their list of bad contracts right. in the league. No yeah. It's got any issue, man. But that's just that's just how it is with the goaltending position. Um yeah. What a scintillating edition of the Granger thing segment, Jesse. Well done. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it was fun. I I I, I saw the chance to talk goalies and I took it. I always do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and, and and for once we were—I was saying good things about goaltenders, and Jesse yes. to come on here and defend their honor. Thank you so much uh, for uh, hanging out for Granger Things, sponsored by Bet MGM. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Awesome, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, man. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty-four-seven U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Google Docs, Slack, Canva, Teams. You're right across multiple platforms and places during your workday. So delivering consistent, high-quality communication everywhere is key. Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high-quality writing for better projects, proposals, presentations, and more. Best of all, Grammarly works where you work, so you can get more done no matter what tools you use. Grammarly helps me personally when I'm writing a description for a podcast or when I'm filling out a rundown for a show. It helps me avoid making grammatical errors, spelling mistakes, and just generally makes things easier in my day. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing. Tone suggestions even help you navigate the most difficult work conversations. By the way, Grammarly is the gold standard of responsible AI. With 15 years of best-in-class communication, trusted by tens of millions of professionals and IT departments. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Man, this show's been going really great so far. Uh, I... Ian is the easiest job in the world. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He doesn't have the easiest job in the world. This I can understand why he loves the Thursday show. Though. This has been really fun so far. Big thanks to Jesse for Granger Things. And now it's time for the mailbag. Uh, we get a bunch of we got some questions in. Uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, uh, first off, if you want to send us a question, uh, re- you can reach us at uh, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. And you can leave a question there, 
Or you can make like uh, what we're about to hear now and leave a voicemail at 845-445-8459. This is pretty cool that we have a voicemail feature on this show. What do we got? Uh, Dallas Starchan here. I wanted to ask you about Jamie Ben. He's a longtime fixture here in Dallas, Texas. I mean, you got to remember the Stars were in bankruptcy, and he was here early in his career for that transition with Tom Gillardi, the rebranding. Um, and this franchise, while have not, they may have not won a title in that time, um, it's night and day. The support, full buildings, um, a team that at least makes the playoffs and tries to be competitive at a minimum. And I'm just curious how Jamie Ben's perceived uh, outside of this market, and in your in you all's mind. Does he have a shot at being a Hall of Famer? I don't think his numbers stack up right now, but I'm kind of curious what you think it would take for him to get consideration for the Hall of Fame. So, Sean, what do you think Jamie Benn has to do to be considered a Hockey Hall of Famer? And, and how, do you, how do you perceive him? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because when we sort of talked off air about this, I, I sort of, as a smart Alex said, he needs to have more than one good season. Because we all remember that Art Ross season, that weird year where he won the Art Ross with with only 87 points, had four points at the, the last game to, to take it away from, I think it was John Tavares. Uh, but that wasn't his only good year. In fact, you could argue that his next season was was even better, where he, he had 89 points, didn't uh, win the Art Ross, but uh, was a finalist for the Hart Trophy. And the year before that, he was a first-team All-Star. So um, he had a three-year stretch where he was absolutely, you know, you talk about peak in the conversation, best left winger in the game. And, uh, you know, that's that's pretty impressive in the Alexander Ovechkin era to, to be in that discussion. That said, three years isn't enough. Um, you know, five years isn't enough, as we've seen with John LeClaire, a guy who was, uh, you know, an all-star for a significant amount of time, led the league in goals, and and has had virtually no uh, support for for a Hall of Fame case that that we can see. Um, Jamie Benn is, is, he's 33. He's got years ahead of him, but it, it sort of feels like he's an old 33. I mean, this this guy's been a warrior. Uh, the, the, those the, there, there's a lot of mileage there. Uh, so how how long he can go is remains to be seen. Um, he, just over 800 points, just at 350 goals. I I, I feel like if he gets to a thousand points, he's at least in the discussion. But I don't see him being a serious candidate unless he can get back to the level that that he was at before. And obviously, he's had injuries and, and that sort of thing. But, it, you know, he, he needs a few more of those all-star level seasons because, unfortunately, uh, 14, 15, 16, when he's first-team all-star, since then, in the, you know, we're now going on seven seasons, not even not even an all-star vote. And again, voting is not the be-all and end-all. Um, you know, we we certainly don't always get it right. But the fact that for seven, six years, going on seven now, he has not even been in consideration uh, to be one of the best uh, wingers in the game. I, I think uh, he's he's just not going to get there as a serious candidate unless there is sort of an unexpected Eric Carlson-like late career renaissance that uh, that comes in and, and puts him back on the radar. I could I can understand that. Yeah, my my criteria my criteria as kind of scatterbrained as it could be. Like you have to be considered among the best at your position and like that top five, maybe top ten for like a sustained period of time. And like like, yeah, Jamie Ben has a little bit of that, but mm-hmm. like I don't like it like when's the last time you've thought of Jamie Ben as like all right, he's a top fifteen, top twenty, top twenty-five player in the league? Like it's been yep. 
It's been and, some and time since it's been considered that. Two things that, that kind of work against him that, that probably shouldn't. Number one is the contract. Uh, he's one of those yeah. guys who was a good player, got a great player's contract, didn't live up to it. And in, in the hard cap era, that matters. But we spend so much time going, oh, bad contract, bad contract, that it starts to, in some people's head, become bad player. And it shouldn't be. But, uh, I mean, he hasn't been, uh, you know, I mean, he was a 40-point player a few years ago and close to a full season. So it, clearly not not anywhere there. And the other thing is, you know, a lot of guys who win an Art Ross do get significant Hall of Fame consideration. And through no fault of his own, just the fact that he won it with such a low total almost became like a symbol of the low-scoring era. Uh, the fact that somebody, oh my gosh, 87 points wins you an Art Ross. Wow, like what, what is going on with this league? Um, and uh, again, that's not his fault. It's not his fault that you know nobody had more points or that uh, you know he he uh, he led the league in scoring fair and square. And yet, I feel like the Art Ross is sort of diminished in in maybe the eyes of of uh, a lot of fans that uh, it, it's it's sort of something that you turn your nose up because you're like, oh man, that's such a low total for such a prestigious award. So, yeah, uh, thank you very much for the voicemail message. Also, here's a really random thing before I get to the next one. 2013-14, uh, 2014-15, 2015-16, three seasons for Jamie Benn in which he has the exact same penalty minute total. Like they each top wow, out. Oh, nice. Yeah. That is really 64. Weird. And, then the, and then the year after. He has 66. <laughs> he has 66. So that is funny. That's now, see. Now I want to look up and see if he, uh, like, was it like at the very end, was this one of these things where he was like, you know what? No, I'm not doing this for a third year. I gotta, I gotta pick up another, <laughs> I gotta pick, I gotta go punch somebody in the head or something and, uh, and get that last penalty. But it doesn't look like it, but, uh, that's, uh, Mr. Consistency, at least when you, when you look at, uh, look at that column. Let's take, uh, this next one from, uh, Shmuel, uh, from Vancouver. I was looking up on Wikipedia the last time a Canadian team hosted the All-Star Game, and I learned that for the All-Star Game's first 20 years from 1947 to 1968, the defending cup champs hosted the All-Star team. Do you think that switching to that format now would make the game more entertaining? Fans of the Stanley Cup team would get bragging rights, and fans of every other team would be invested in seeing the cup winners lose. Also, would the Colorado Avalanche or last year's Lightning teams beat the rest of the league's all-stars. I think the actual team's familiarity with each other would give them a huge advantage over the more talented and deeper all-star roster, but I'd be curious to see if that assumption held true. This could be like a chance to have a down-goes-brown team construction experiment column in real life. Yeah, it could. Uh, and and you hear this every now and then, partly because the all-star game, it's, I mean, it's it's so hard to watch. Um a lot of times and uh, you know we've we've been over that and the league to their credit has tried all sorts of things and at the end of the day it just doesn't work because these guys have made it very clear that they have no interest in putting even a minimal effort uh, into the games we saw it last weekend the, the Atlantic was the only one of the four divisions that seemed to care at all the Metro had enough pride that when they were playing the Atlantic that they they sort of elevated their game and then the Central got into the final and was like, no, we're not, we're not interested. And, and Kirill Kaprizov literally switched out of an event in the skills competition, like yep. during the event. Like, yeah. And I, and I get it. Look, it's, you know, it, it, the season is a grind. These guys are beat up. They're hurt. This is supposed to be their, their, their break. Um, so the question is, if you, if you made it, if, you know, up against, if you put them up against the Stanley cup champion, would that 
would that trigger the pride? Like, would you would you see that team saying, you know, we're 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 the champs, we're going to play hard, and then you know the other team responds to it? I'm not sure it would. At this point, I'm you know I'm willing to try pretty much anything, but I'm I'm not sure that it it would work. Maybe it would. Uh, the disparity in talent theoretically would be more significant than it is in the original six era. I mean, back then, there. I mean, if you won the Stanley Cup and you were a great team, you your roster probably at least at the top of the lineup didn't look all that different from an all-star team. And, and, you know, these days, 32 teams, it's not quite the same. The one thing you would have to do is it couldn't be like it was back then where the, the Stanley cup team hosted, uh, because it's just too big a deal to the NHL to move this around. And it's, I mean, it's an event right now for sponsors and schmoozing and that sort of thing. So risking having it be in the same place multiple times, I, I don't think would work, but you know, I'm willing to give it a try. Because I, I will tell you right now, if uh, I, I have a hard time thinking that anything could uh, could be much worse than what we've seen the All Star Game become over the years, and and look, uh, I mean, it, we saw it in the NFL where they radically changed how the Pro Bowl worked. They they just said, you know what? All right, you guys don't want to try. We're not even going to play a football game. We're going to play flag football. We're going to do events. We're going to have some fun. Maybe this would be the NHL's equivalent to sort of go in a, a different direction and and get uh, get creative by going back to an old idea. I think it could be a cool idea, but I would also love to see uh, them go back to the all-star draft, but also like the captains. I really want a Crosby versus Ovechkin all-star game. Like, I mm-hmm. think that might be something that incentivizes at least some of the players yeah. to get into it. And like, if you and put a little more money in it. Yeah. The fact that we dropped like, the draft was so ridiculous. I mean, it, oh, it's man. this, this. Hockey fans go on and on and on about how tough these guys are. They're the toughest athletes in the world, but then we can't have an all-star draft because it hurts their feelings. Give me a break. Like, let's, I don't want to be picked last. Yeah, oh, it, you know, it made me feel bad. Well, okay, I mean, geez, I'm sure getting cross-checked in the head makes you feel bad too, but, uh, you know, can can we, can we, maybe you could use that as motivation to go out there and, I don't know. I mean, it's... Uh, I think at this point it kind of just is what it is, and uh, we've we've got to figure out a way to live with it. And as long as as long as the the sponsor, the corporate partners get the schmooze and shake hands with people, then maybe that's all we should be looking at. I guess. Now let's uh, wrap up our show with a look back with this week in hockey history. We've got two notable tidbits for you. Uh, February seventh, nineteen seventy six, Toronto Center. Daryl Sittler sets the NHL record with ten points. Uh, in a game in a Toronto Maple Leafs 11-4 win over Boston at Maple Leaf Gardens. He gets six goals and four assists. Uh, obviously, uh, that record uh, has not been broken since. Uh, maybe uh, Tage Thompson had a fighting chance at that yep. earlier this year. But um, uh, it's still the record as it stands. And wild uh, that that is that record has not only never been broken, but no one's even gotten to nine points in a game and you know we're talking Wayne Gretzky in the 80s we're talking Mario in the 80s high scoring eras uh I think they both topped out at eight points uh we're talking somehow you know Sam Gagne and Patrick Sundstrom <laughs> and guys like that also get eight points so I mean it can it can happen you can have that perfect night where everything's going in now, obviously we don't see a lot of games where a team scores 10 goals these days let alone has that many points but it is it, it is somewhat shocking to me that nobody even got close to it in the 80s. Um, and, you know, we will see it eventually. I got to say, as a Leaf fan, I have, I'm as old as I am, I have no memory of this game. But 
I, I, I have like a certain amount of pride. I don't think about it much, but then every time you flip on the TV and you're, and it's like, oh, this guy has four points in the first period. I'm always like, oh, is, is this <laughs> the night that somebody takes Sittler's record? Cause as a Leaf fan, we have so, we have so few things to cling to. And this is, this is one of them. And uh, the other thing I want to bring up, uh, February 11th, 1957, uh, the NHLPA forms and Ted Lindsay, uh, a longtime Detroit Red Wing, elected as mm-hmm. president. Yep. And, uh, you know, if sometimes I, I know people ask, why is why is the award for best player as voted by the players named after Ted Lindsay? Why isn't it Gordie Howe or Wayne Gretzky or, or something like that? And this is a big part of the reason why he was a phenomenal player. Absolutely. But he also was instrumental to the formation of the players union, which, you know, you can imagine back then um, was not a popular stance at all for uh, for him to take. And and he risked a lot by by pushing for it and being the face of it. And uh, that's why to this day he is honored by the players uh, by having that award named after him. And that's going to do it for the Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Sean, it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, getting to hang out with you for uh, this last hour and a bit. This was fun. Yeah, this was this was excellent. Uh, you know, you did. Uh, I, I realize now where I should have gone at the beginning was you are the Dominic Hasek to Ian's Grant Fear. He's you know he's a Hall of Famer. He's a top one hundred uh, podcast host. But you know maybe this is the the moment where uh, you sneak in there and, and start uh, start racking up the hardware. Man, this is the that's probably the nicest hockey related compliment I've ever received in my life. So thank you, yeah. Sean. Uh, and, uh, dude, as, uh, as, uh, for your work, it just, you put me onto a lot of game today, man, and a lot of hockey history, a lot of hockey knowledge. You've probably forgotten more than I will ever know. Uh, so getting to learn from you today was really sweet as well. And, and, and uh, hey, check out tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll throw in, I'll drop in the quick plug because, yes. uh, you know, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of the old timers have said, you know, this, this top 100 list you guys did in the modern era was great, but what about Gordy? What about the rocket? What about uh, Doug Harvey and Eddie Shore and all these guys? Uh, tomorrow, I have got my own personal ranking of the top 50 guys of the pre-modern era. So pre-1967, I'm doing my own top 50. No no panel, no ballots, anything like this. This is just me uh, making my own list. But if you're, if you're one of those old timers going, hey, where's some of these older names? We're going to get them for you tomorrow. Be sure to check that out. And uh, thank you again for listening to The Athletic Hockey Show. Again, you can always email us your questions at The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 845-445-8459. Right now, get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 